listening to Shit Shooting 101. I'm your host, Joshua Lee. With us today, legendary Bigfoot hunter, researcher, producer of the Sierra Sounds, and author of Voices in the Wilderness and The Quantum Bigfoot. Take everything you know about Sasquatch and give it the Bigfoot to the curb. It's not your grandfather's flesh and blood mystery ape species Bigfoot. Bringing us into the new age of quantum cryptozoology, or should I say cryptophysics, Ron Moorhead. Ron, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Josh. I appreciate being here. And it's a pleasure having you. Um, well, thank you. From the beginning, I'd just like to say it's an absolute honor to have you on the show, and I'd like to thank you for bringing Bigfoot back into my life. Uh, you see, for a time period there, I began to stray from the possibility of Sasquatch, you know, what with all the cell phone cameras, hunting cameras, and even drone cams these days, you know, all of our technological advan- advancements and whatnot, and no definitive proof. Um, but I stumbled upon your book, The Quantum Bigfoot, and I find my imagination reignited with all the possibilities, all the questions and fascinations, and for that, I owe you a debt of gratitude. <laughs> Well, thank you for that compliment. Yeah, I figure any uh, mystery has to have an answer to it. It's an answer to everything. So I just, well, that's what caused me to write my last book, Quantum Bigfoot. Yeah, because I, I grew up uh, fascinated with cryptozoology and uh, Bigfoot and all of that. And, you know, as I got older and I, the technology advanced and there wasn't anything new coming out. So I kind of became jaded. Um, but you know, looking back now after having read your book, it's like, I really should have kept giving it a chance because I know how academia works. I know how they can bury things that are of high importance to, uh, our knowledge systems. And I, I know how our government works in covering things up. So why didn't, I continue giving it a chance. <laughs> Good point. And uh, also another thing uh, that you've mentioned, uh, equipment failure seems to be a common theme with these Bigfoot hunts, is it not? Well, it seems to be. I know it happened with us quite a bit. We laid it off as uh, poor batteries or poor or bad cold weather stopped our units from working, but... Uh, Scott Nelson and Cryptolingus, we took up there. I took it up there a few times, and his batteries, he took a bunch of batteries, and they just go dead. And also, I had some brand-new lithium batteries up there in 2011 when these things came around the camp, and and they were just dead, and uh, they shouldn't have been. I took them out of the package, checked them out of quarter, and it, it all worked, and then when they started shattering about 10 o'clock that night, I, <laughs> the batteries were dead. So they have a way of working around energy, I think, and uh, I think they need energy and use energy. Some of them, at least, I'm only going to refer to the ones I dealt with in Sierras because I don't think they're all the same, Josh. I don't. I have a, a theory behind why I think that, and we can get into that later if you want to. But yeah, definitely. Uh, I just think some of them have, have attributes that others don't have. And that's why I get into the alien component, because I think there's an alien component to them, and uh, that may have given them different attributes, because we've had different types of aliens on this planet. They're here now, actually. and So um, it's, it's something people should think about a little bit, I think, and not just woo-woo it off, because I've been called a woo-woo in the past. <laughs> not to my face, but I treat that as a compliment now, because woo-woo and paranormal and all this stuff is just quantum physics. They just don't understand. When people don't understand something, they want to 
call it something else. Right. I was going to say, uh, you could, you could reverse that and take that as a compliment. Woo woo. I mean, hold that as a badge of honor at this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I guess, uh, I'd be considered that, but again, I might, the subtitle of my book, the quantum Bigfoot is bringing science and spirituality back together because I think they've been alienated and they shouldn't be science should be looking into the, the full scope of science. Uh, classical science is based on Newtonian physics, everything material, physical, measurable, predictable, and uh, quantum science isn't that way. It's unpredictable, yet it's existing. It's a fact, and uh, scientists around the world agree with that. It's just uh, it's only a little over 100 years old, and it's not really not taught in school like, like, uh, like uh, Newtonian physics is. So everybody has to think that everything they know about is, is based on our three-dimensional reality that we see with our eyes. Nothing wrong with believing that, I guess, but there's more going on that you just don't see. There's more dimensions. There's more. There's more. There's more. A lot of things out there that you just don't see. You don't hear within certain frequencies. Uh, you don't smell within certain frequencies. Everything is a frequency, according to Tesla. Energy, vibration, and uh, and uh, frequency, energy, and vibration. And if you get right out to the most minute part of everything, it gets down to the cellular structure of the energy that's, that we're all made of. And if you're a religious person, when, you're, when your body dies, you go to heaven. If, well, maybe. <laughs> but if you're a physicist, uh, you just go into another dimension because you, energy cannot die. And that's, that's mathematically been proven. So you get into just looking into this stuff and you realize how much more there really is to look into and that's what i've done and that's what i continue to do yeah i i, I want to get more into the, all of that uh, a little later but uh first uh just kind of uh, build into that um you you famously recorded bigfoot vocalizations uh in the following following analyses of the recordings it was an absolute game changer so what exactly did we learn from these forest sounds well, it really should have been a game changer scientifically because it, uh, what we learned from the sounds from the year-long study at the University of Wyoming was that uh, that they couldn't been a, they couldn't have been duplicated by the human vocal tract. It's outside the human range, and it's uh, it's just they weren't speeded up, they weren't slowed down, they weren't uh, uh, there's no 60-cycle harmony. They checked for all that stuff. Because Al Berry, the investigative reporter we took in in 1972, he uh, he, he wanted to, he wanted a professional to check it out. Just he couldn't believe it. He was looking for a hoax in there and, and couldn't find one because uh, there wasn't one. We're eight miles in the wilderness and we're 8,400 feet in elevation and it's just a real imposing area to get to. And uh, so he was trying to find an unbiased, uh, somebody unbiased to look at it. And he found uh, Professor Curlin that did a study and determined that they, there was no 60 second round. Of course, Tybal, um, i.e. Tybal, people that studied the Nixon tapes, that's who he went to first, and they knew right away that they could have been human-made. They're too powerful, and they weren't. there was no 60-cycle hum, which, which would have represented a pre-recording or re-recording at ultra speed, and there was none of that. And it wasn't until uh, 2008, till a crypto-linguist named Scott Nelson, who retired from the military as a crypto-linguist, and uh, he heard him by accident, and he had to, he drove all the way out from Missouri just to talk to me and to Alberry and try to get the context of how these uh, sounds were recorded. And 
and he gave me a copy of the original. He went back and studied them. He said, you know, these things have a language by the human definition of language. And that's a big deal because only humans, according to Dr. Lieberman at Brown University, have the vocal mechanism for language. We have the hyoid bone connected to the tongue through the nervous system and the brain. So when you see something, you can actually articulate what you're seeing uh, through words like in a sapient sentence, like I'm talking right now, I hope. Mm-hmm. But it takes 10 or 12 words to uh, make up a, a sentence. And uh, as far as a yeah, morphine stream of words, I should say morphine stream. And that's what he found. These things speak very, very rapidly, but they do have morphine streams. There. They're, they're talking to each other. We knew they were up there. And I'm not sure what we're dealing with, to be honest with you. You know, we call it Bigfoot because it has a big foot and it has a big voice. We've got glimpses of them occasionally, very rarely. But uh, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, <clears throat> they may have just been total alien. I don't know. A lot of UFO sightings also around our area and around the world now. And you got to wonder just uh, how much... Uh, how much of a component might be in these? It's alien, uh, from alien intervention into the genome of a species of some type. Um, and you said that uh, many people have had experiences of telepathy with these beings and mind speak. Uh, have you experienced that? You know, I don't know. I don't think I have, but then I'm very analytical and I've always been a, a retired businessman. And I, Let's try to analyze things. Would guys do that? You know, women have more more of a sense of those things. But telepathy, I think, is something all humans have the ability to do. We just haven't reached into our inner self and learned how to how to make that happen through the pineal. Uh, I think. Well, I got a theory about that. But but uh, telepathy and uh, telekinesis and cognizance and all that stuff, uh, consciousness, I should say. I just don't think that evolved. I think it was given to us by an alien presence. And it's given to these things by an alien presence. I think we're very special. The humans on this earth are very special. I think the earth itself is very special. And uh, these other, whatever species are out there, they have not been given uh, the space that we've been given on this earth, the, the dominion, I should say, according to some words. So, yeah, they, they have that uh, telepathy. I've heard a lot of people talk about that. But you have to be in the right vibrational frequency in your mind to accept that as what it is. And uh, I get into that too in my book, The Quantum Liquid, how that happens. A lot of people have telepathy. I mean, people can, I was with a guy yesterday, remote views, and it's exceptional. I mean, this guy can, he's found some things that make your jaw drop. And uh, how does that happen? That that doesn't evolve. That's, That's something special, how you can look into uh, through portals or something like that and tell where things are, uh, past, present, or future. Because time, according to quantum physics, as we know it, linear time does not exist. It's only for us in this three-dimensional environment. So, <laughs> Very heavy stuff. Uh, you were talking about, uh, you said, uh, the difference between males and females, how they might experience this. And in your book, you had, uh, you mentioned... Uh, Joan Ocean's account, uh, who was an, mm-hmm. an authority on dolphin telepathic communication, um, and she was led away from uh, her research in dolphin language to uh, Bigfoot and Bigfoot language, and she makes a comparison there that's very interesting. And she yeah. stated as if it was uh, these 
creatures were creating imagery in her head the same way that she experienced with dolphins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I met, I know John quite well. In fact, we stayed with her and her husband, John Luke, over in Hawaii. Uh, yeah, she's had an experience with Bigfoot, and we've talked extensively about it. Uh, they can, but she also saw them in the flesh, too. It's not just mind speed. But she uses the same technique as she's with dolphins. I went, we, my wife and I went swimming with her a few times over there, and she can take you out there, and all of a sudden the dolphins just come all around her. I mean, she can take you right to where there's this, this pods of them, and, and uh, they swim right up to you. And it's like she's a magnet for them. But I think she does that through her telepathy, and she says she does anyway. And it's interesting stuff, you know, how the hell your mind and how the attributes we have, we just need to learn how to, uh, to culture them and, and get better at it. I do anyway. Nobody <laughs> else. Yeah, uh, dolphins are an interesting creature. I remember reading in the past uh, because my studies were in psychology, and they there was an article that came out that said uh, their brain is mostly glial cells, so uh, they're probably not as intelligent as we think they are. But then later, research found that uh, glial cells actually uh, send uh, messages much more quickly than other cells in the brain so that they actually may be more intelligent than we had ever imagined. So that's just a way you can see science going back and forth. Uh, What kind of, like she said that they were, uh, they put images in her head. Did she explain or describe what these images that were being transferred to her from? Well, the image that they were seeing, the dolphins were seeing, was the image that she would, actually there's a, there's actually a machine that they've got, same machine, that's, I don't know what it's called, but uh, it'll actually hooked into the dolphin's brain and shows what the dolphin is trying to, to project. And it's like a diver down there, it'll, you'll see it on the screen that it's coming out of the dolphin's brain. So something like that, it's just uh, remarkable. But uh, uh, how that works, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't really looked into it all that deeply. Uh, Joan is master at it though uh, what about uh, with Bigfoot well uh, she says the same thing about Bigfoot she used the same approach mentally and I think now that I've studied this for 50 years and been on it since we encountered a family of them uh, I think if you just if I had a lot to do over again I would do differently probably uh, if you just relax your brain and let it get out of the analytical beta state like we're in now and go into the alpha and the theta state where you're have lucid dreams and just kind of relax like that. I think they they want to connect with us and uh, they they can do that telepathically. But you got to know if you're if you're causing it yourself or it's really happening from some of the source. That's what I always question is when when I get a thought like where'd that come from? Well, I got to think where did that come from? Was <laughs> I thinking about that earlier or something trying to tell me something? So I try to connect it and try to analyze it again, which is probably not the thing to do with. <laughs> it's just the way I am. So I, I think we have, I have the ability to be telepathic, and so do you. And I think every human on earth has that ability to a human. But I, I don't think all of us are, are like, again, learning how to uh, exercise it. Yeah. When, when I listen to these uh, vocalizations that you've recorded, uh, like you said, it, it goes. In and out of, uh, like, the human range. I mean, I'm certainly no expert, obviously, but um, 
either it'll be a time where you're like, yeah, that could be a human making it. And then all of a sudden it makes a sound that you're like, no way that any human on this earth could make that. And it's very, uh, when you hear this, what, what overcomes you? I mean, what kind of feelings? I'd be absolutely terrified shitless. <laughs> well, when you're up there, we were inside a shelter, and uh, the shelter is what's a makeshift log leaning against some cables around a circular group of trees with a doorway, which is just a log with two trees uh, wedged out. And so when they say we make their sound, we were generally inside that shelter, and uh, we started when we realized they weren't going to eat us, they weren't turning in the shelter after us. We were heavily armed. It's a hunting camp, and nobody up there was looking for Bigfoot at the time. So when this started happening, it was kind of a, you don't know what to think. You just don't. So you're sitting there. One of the guys, he, he had to leave. That next morning, actually, because you can't leave at night. I mean, it's just too dangerous and too far out, and you're stuck there until the morning, no matter what happens. <laughs> but he left a note and says, I'm gone, and and uh, he wouldn't go back. Uh, and in fact, that's how I got involved. Uh, the, the guys were supposed to come out the next day, and they didn't, and and the women were all worried, so he asked me if I'd go back because they wanted to know if the guys were okay. Because, again, you don't know what kind of a monster you might be dealing with up there. But the sounds are very aggressive. You could you could get really uh, concerned about what's going to happen, but what happens, happens. You're either going to live or die, and you just hope for the best, I guess. And We all lived, and uh, we didn't get eaten. We didn't get carried away in our sleeping bag. Nothing bad happened to us. It's... it's Caused me to be here talking with you today. I'm, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It, it, the sounds very aggressive, uh, very hostile, almost. And uh, are the, outside of the recordings, have you heard anything that you can differentiate between hostility and uh, passiveness, or you know, different emotions that they're relaying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because this app started in 1971. That's how old it is. I was 29 at the time. And, uh, yeah, we started encountering him several times. We'd go back into this camp, and uh, they'd be coming in at night. And uh, you hear the wood knocks. Uh, you hear them break a big, huge branch somewhere, and it wasn't like a bear standing on a limb. It's a huge knock. And uh, you hear the rocks clacking. You hear the whooping sounds. And... Uh, uh, this happened as as they got used to us and we got used to them. Uh, they started interacting with us like that. And it wasn't until 74 when they started interacting with us when I was outside the shelter and uh, fortunate enough to uh, record that. And that's when I was, uh, it was, seemed like according to cryptolinguists, they had slowed their vocalizations down to something that I might be able to understand. I couldn't, I didn't know what they were saying. I was thinking too much at the time. And, uh, underestimating what we're dealing with because we i was we were like like so many researchers out there today you're you're looking for an ape in the woods you know just hadn't been scientifically identified but they can't be as smart as us they can't be you know what's going on well i disagree with that now they're, they're not just an ape in the woods i've told people for years if you just think of them like a people a uh, native person that don't want to be found in the woods uh, that's your best outlook on it but they they're very intelligent. They're very intuitive. They they seem to see right through what you're planning to do, which we've tried to get pictures, and that's a big deal now. People think, well, if you had that close, had that much stuff going on, you should have got a picture. Well, go out there and try to get a picture yourself. You think it's that easy. We tried to trick them. We had strings set up with trick cameras and stuff like that, and 
we could not get a pitcher, and we tried. So at the time, I, I again we were underestimating them. We didn't know. We just didn't know they were that good at creeping around and knowing what you were up to. Um, but uh, anyway, that's. Oh, by the way, I want to correct something you said in the beginning when you introduced me, which I appreciate that. But I don't hunt them, by the way. I don't go looking for them. I think my best advice to people who think they want to do that is just find out where they've been seen and go there to rest and just be still and, and don't don't try to hunt them and go out there and try to uh, make something happen. Uh, if you're in a spot where they are, you got your brain right and your vibrational frequency is right, uh, they'll interact with you. They'll, they'll start coming around, maybe. <laughs> it's their terms and their time. All right. Um. You also, I've heard you talk about, uh, well, actually, this is what I read in your book, uh, The Quantum Bigfoot, and this blew my mind. You said a lot of the witnesses heard things like uh, their name being called or the name of their dog, um, and you've heard that, I mean, you stated that you've heard them make horse sounds or car sounds. Mm-hmm. Well, they have the vocal mechanism, which is so superior to ours, uh, they can make probably any sound they want to make. There was a time when we thought our camp was being tore up out there, and that's something they hadn't been doing, so we uh, waited till it was all over and looked out there, and nothing had changed. I mean, it, how do you explain that? It's, it's just unbelievable. So we don't we didn't talk about this stuff for a long time because it's just too strange. Al Berry had a master's degree in science, and he said, don't talk about the weird stuff up here. You won't get invited to talk anywhere. Right. And uh, I, I do that now because I think people are more susceptible to, especially these people that have had, and I've interviewed people now for 50 years that have had experiences that are fall right into, they can't explain it. And when you can't explain it through classical science, you got to find the science that's going to explain it. And I think quantum science explains it. It talks about frequency, energy, and vibration, like Tesla. And uh, you get into frequency, how things, how things really work. And, and if you can tune in the right frequency, Josh, you can change matter. And that's that's how I think the masters of old did their miracles and how they even do them today. Uh, if you can if you can tune into that and know the frequency, you can alter it. So that's why I think a lot of people I've interviewed over the years, they, they not a lot, but probably a dozen, maybe, maybe a little bit more, have said they saw the one disappear. They can disappear. Well, most researchers just throw those people out with bathwater, you know. And uh, it just, I, you hear these people say that over and over, and then all of a sudden, credible, I mean, people that you know are very credible, saw this thing just pixelate and go out of their sight. Well, how does that happen? Can that really happen? Sure. We only see within light's frequency. And, and if they go out of that frequency, you won't see them. And uh, that's just the way it is. We don't see everything there is to see. Uh, so I get into, I, I get a little carried away on this. I just start rumbling on. So just stop me and charge right in there and ask me a question if you want to. Oh, no, no, no. It's, I, I'm enjoying every second of this. Uh, yeah, the, the whole disappearing thing. Um, well, there's like, a, I think of the missing 411 series where you, they discuss about these hot spots where people just go up uh, missing. You think of Bermuda Triangle where just entire planes and ships turn up missing. So I'm, I, 
I'm, when I think of Bigfoot just disappearing, are there possibly some sort of uh, dimensional portals or something that they're tapping into, perhaps? I don't know. Uh, theoretically, you go in so many directions with that. Yeah, you could. It's a real rabbit hole, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so you don't know if they're, if they're cloaking and just making you think they've disappeared or if they've really disappeared. Uh, but yeah, you're right. There's so many mysteries that uh, we think we know so much, but we know so little about how things really work. And uh, I think there's portals. Uh, NASA trusts have been studying portals for years. So there are uh, anomalies, electrical magnetic anomalies that, uh, that I think maybe they have the... Uh, the ability to just step out of our range into another dimension. And uh, that's a possibility. I, again, I don't think they're all the same. So some of them might be able to do that and some of them may not, in my opinion. I think over the eons, too, right? I mean, eons of time, they probably crossbred with uh, indigenous people. Some of them may not have the same attributes that others have. Hmm. So, so I, I kind of go off the left field on that one because I. I believe in aliens. I, I believe they've been here a lot. I've been in Peru and Bolivia and Russia, Siberia. I've been all those places looking for anomalies. It's, it's unanswered. And, uh, you get into down there in the up, upper part of, uh, Peru and you see anomalies there, which, uh, just, they don't know how they did them today. These over a hundred ton boulders hiked from all for miles away and put up on top of this mountain and put together like a jigsaw puzzle with no mortar. It took advanced intelligence to do that, and intelligence that we don't know how they did, how they cut those. The Incas didn't do it. It's pre-Inca people, and it was the people with the elongated skulls, we think. And we researched those with a couple of different scientists down there, and they had 30% more brain matter than, uh, than we do. And the Incas tried to mimic that by uh, cradleboarding their, their youth, their royalty anyway, trying to get uh, the same, I think, uh, attributes that maybe these uh, pre-Inca people had, and they were crossbreeding, and, uh, but they could not get that. Uh, they might extend the brain to, or the skull, but they couldn't extend the brain. You're only going to have so much brain matter right. if you're a human. So I imagine there's a lot of empty space in those long and long as the Incas did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and these beings with the large heads that they're mimicking, uh, it, it could possibly be that uh, the Bigfoot is some sort of ancient alien genetic engineering. Um, right, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's what took me down there. It's the longer your skulls. I wanted to, I wanted to be part of that expedition and I wanted to see if there's any kind of a bread crail that led them up here because we're seeing these things up here. And a lot of people report the uh, elongated head, you know, the sagittal crest, they call it. And uh, sure enough, uh, the Incas had stories of warring with the Mayans and the Aztecs in the Central America. Then you got their stories saying they warred with giants in the north. Up in the north, I've been to Lovelock Caves in Nevada uh, four times, and uh, they say they warred with uh, red-haired giants that were cannibal, uh, cannibalistic. And you got the minaret skulls, which were found in uh, in the Sierra Nevadas. You got the Martindale mummies, same thing. Uh, these, there's so many stories that people start studying us about giants here in america uh, you know they're here they've been here and uh why aren't they still here they are just why are they saying so elusive how come we don't find bones i get into all that too um uh, because that's the thing that really 
throws people. I had a cousin one time who couldn't believe in this. He said, oh, science wouldn't know it if they had something that big running around the woods. Well, no, they wouldn't. If they can change their density, if they can go from mass into energy and change their density, the trackways would stop because there's no density then. And that happened to me. I've heard people say, well, the trackways just stopped. It had to be a hoax, so I just made them. Well, no, it doesn't. If you just not everybody's a liar, and you see a lot of this happening. A lot of people report trackways just stopping. We can't see where it goes after that. Well, if they can change their matter but through vibrational frequency into energy, they wouldn't have the density, and their trackway would stop. And that happened to me after my daughter Rhonda had a sighting up there, and we found the trackway, and all of a sudden it just stopped. And I mean, you couldn't figure out where it went. I looked up in the trees because we jumped up in the trees because and filled some rocks or what happened, and I could not find where it went. So that was an eye-opener for me. And uh, the thing is, we, we hooked, put it together with a sighting, and that was that's pretty good. Right. Something like that can, couldn't possibly be attributed to cloaking. Well, what do you call cloaking? You know, yeah, if you put in a military sheet over you to bend the light, uh, but cloaking uh, is what people call it because it disappears from their visions, from their perspective. I mean, as far as the tracks and stuff, there would still oh, be right. an indentation. It's exactly. Yeah, there would still be. Yeah. And some people see an indentation without the body. But if they look, I know this, uh, you mentioned David Polides is missing 401, the hunted. I was in that uh, for about a 15 minute section. And the section right after me was about a lady who was bow hunting in a tree, and she's seen this energy, some type of pixelation going from one tree to another. And uh, he did a really well uh, reproduction of that. And also the anomaly that happened to me in 2016 up there at our camp, he reproduced that very well, too, on his uh, on this uh, missing call on the hunted. So they can, uh, I think, go out of your perception, and uh, they just change forms. How they... How they do it, I'm not sure, but they can do it. And it's, physics says they can do it uh, because we only see within certain parameters. And as you stated in your book, uh, Pantanjali, he wrote of the possibility of human invisibility, as well as the Rosicrucians and many ancient sources that talk about uh, human invisibility. So is this a lost knowledge that we ourselves once possessed? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think we have it now if we just learn the right frequency. <laughs> so a lot of people right can just uh, it's, you know, can camouflage themselves and stay out of sight. And you, there's all kinds of tricks you can do, but this really isn't a trick. I think it's a law of physics. And uh, I'm not saying that some of them don't just blend into a tree and make you, you think it's a certain stump or something there. And that could have been happening to us too. But as much as we were up there, as often as we was up in the camp, You'd think we would have seen them more. Only got glimpses occasionally, very rarely. It wasn't until 74, after being doing this for three years, that I finally got a glimpse. And now, looking back on it, I wonder if they weren't, uh, quote-unquote, cloaking or just going out of our perception. Most of us in the nighttime, you know, right after it started getting dark, is when the journey started messing with us. And by the way, they do mess with people. They toy with you. Hmm. You mentioned earlier about people having their name called and they, from something out in the woods with a dog's name and the dog's not with them. Uh, these things can, can mimic just about anything they want to mimic with a very advanced vocal mechanism. And uh, yeah, uh, 
time again, if they are able to step out of this three-dimensional environment and go into the fifth dimension or something like that through the fourth dimension of time, you wouldn't uh, necessarily see what was making the sound. But the night of 1974, probably my most exciting night, is when I got to see one when it was making the samurai chatter. It made that big screen they called the samurai cry, and I seen it streaking down through the woods, a bright moonlit night and uh, evening, and we were still outside the shelter. It was going down to two other ones, so we think it was a, a female and an adolescent down below was recording all this. And that's where I come out my second CD. I got those those events uh, recorded, which was pretty cool. How do you determine a female from a male Bigfoot? Well, yeah, uh, mostly the the aggressiveness, maybe. Um, well, I've had a human sound expert listen to this, too, Nancy Logan. She's very credible. And uh, she said, you know, there's the female, that's the male. They're arguing back and forth. Hmm. Uh, and she could tell. And on the, as far as the little one goes, you hear this little voice on the recording that I've got, which comes with my book, uh, Voice of the Wilderness. Uh, and you can tell it's a little voice, and the big voice comes down. And you hear the big samurai cry behind me, you know, coming down. It's kind of an exciting night, that's for sure. So how... In your estimate, how many times would you say that you've seen these, or how often do you see them when you go out there? Rare. That was my first right there. That's probably the last. I mean, I'd say last. I don't get out like I used to, but uh, I've been invited to go all the time. But I could spend my whole life doing that stuff. I suppose I pretty much have. So I slowed down and just talk to people. Uh, like you, I go to conferences. I'm heading to Alaska next month, and I go to Minnesota month after that. I got to go to Tennessee after that. Just traveling around and giving my presentation and talking to people about this and where it's led me after all this time of researching and looking into the enigmas these things be associated with them. And, uh, you got a lot of people out there, a lot of researchers still looking for the flesh and blood only um, critter out there in the woods. It's related to an ape. And it might be, but I don't think they're all the same. Right, and uh, even reading your book, uh, I-, I made the mistake of trying to compare it to other animals. I'm thinking, why are they mimicking sounds of like a car door or horses or whatever? And I'm thinking, yeah. like, uh, well, mockingbirds, they say that they mock to make uh, the area seem overpopulated to discourage other birds from moving into the territory. And like parrots, they mimic because it helps them separate members of their own community from outsiders so i'm like but this doesn't exactly there's no parallel there so you know it leaves you uh you know scrambling for answers that you can't find so so then i yeah that's my opinion that's they're they're toying with people they toy with us you know they they were thinking we were thinking we're smarter than them and they knew better. We didn't. And uh, we thought we were smarter than them. We thought we could figure this out, but it isn't happening that way. <clears throat> I think until researchers use all the tools in their arsenal, which is, uh, let me quote something from Edgar Mitchell, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, who's passed away now, but he was one of the astronauts. And he said, it takes classical and quantum sciences together to have clear perception. So until researchers start realizing that aspect of things and the all these physicists and doctors aren't wrong. There's just more going on than what you see. Uh, but nothing, in my opinion, uh, no animal out there is just flesh and blood. I mean, there's more going on with us than just flesh and blood. 
And now that these things have language, and we've established that with our recordings, that puts a human component in them too, uh, like we have. We have the vocal mechanism for language, and nothing else has that. Not the dolphins, not the whales. They have communication methods, but uh, that's all. You know, they can't speak with spoken words like we're doing. Right. I, it, it led my brain to thinking as far out as like, uh, well, if there are uh, these... Uh, there's this uh, quantum aspect to them and they're dealing with frequencies and all that. Maybe they're tapping into some sort of electrical frequency where they can, uh, you know, just uh, pull up any sound (laughs) and relay it. Maybe they're uh, traveling on some radio wave or something with their vocalizations when they're bringing something like that out. I don't know. Well, none of us know. We're all looking into it. That's the thing. It's fun to look into. It's been an exciting part of my life for sure. And it still is. And uh, it'll be interesting to know all the answers someday. And we unfortunately won't know them in this body, I'll say. But who knows? Uh, if, if somebody accidentally hits one of the car, they might get some DNA out of it. And, and uh, of science don't accept the DNA now because they find out there's a human component. That's what happened with the geneticist that was working on this a few years back. She, is, well, the mitochondrial DNA is is a uh, human. Uh, well, no one could buy that. They figured it had to be contaminated if that's the case. But uh, now that there's been another geneticist said the same thing that mitochondrial DNA is human, 99% human. And you got the nuclear DNA, which represents the male counterpart, and it's undetermined. Well, that really makes it questionable to science because hmm. you got classical scientists looking into stuff like this. And, you know, there's 227 billion samples in the gene bank, and it couldn't be matched to anything. So that brings an alien component in for me anyway. Right. Um, yeah, and you spoke of uh, the Nephilim. Um, at, you worked with uh, L.A. Marzulli, is that correct? Well, he's the one I went to South America with. I don't, I don't really work with him, but uh, I went with him down there to examine these skulls and, and to trip around and see different parts of Peru and Bolivia, and we flew over the Nazca lines and did uh, a lot of good. I was down there two different years, two different times with two different scientists, and uh, it was uh, interesting, very interesting, eye-opener, real eye-opener. Yeah, um, I, I get in my book, you know, the, the spiritual part of this, or these religious, I'm not religious, uh, but I was raised religiously. Uh, I am spiritual like we all are, whether you like it or not, you're a spiritual being. Is going to give this body up one of these days, and, and your spirit goes on, which is energy. But yeah, I was down there with L.A., and a uh, nice guy, and studying these things, and yeah, the tripping reason, around Peru. <laughs> the reason I brought him up is because I've heard him talk about the uh, the mounds, in, uh, the Native American mounds in um, Ohio, and that's where I live, and I've been uh, to a few of the sites that he discusses. Uh-huh. And he seems to have a theory that the Nephilim were the ones who constructed them. So I was wondering what your opinion was. Yeah, on well, it, it could be. Uh, I found that there is a way that they could have got through the uh, deludes that was, it was everybody talks about worldwide. Uh, major changes in the earth at that time when that deluge came. And uh, yeah, because I've studied the biblical references of giants. That's the first thing I went to back in those days was... Where giants come from? Yeah, and the Nephilim were, you know, alien intervention into the human genome, trying to corrupt 
corrupt the human genome. And I think also they have a, another reason for going into the genome. And that's so they can alienate their species. They want their species to survive on this environment. It's a really, the Earth is a nice environment. And uh, that's why it's going on, a, a hybridization program, they call it. Uh, but if you want to call anything that's an alien, uh, has an alien component to it, the Nephilim, into the human, well, then they're Nephilim. But then I don't think, again, they're all the same. So um, I don't think they're all malicious, for sure. And the Nephilim were malicious. They they were eating people, just like the Paiute giants were. Right. And uh, so y you believe that there are... Uh... Uh, possibly multiple species of Bigfoot. Uh, so do you believe that this is possibly different uh, engineering programs or uh, different aliens that are genetically engineering them or different dimensional beings having different effects? What What is your uh, perception? It's just about all of what you said. <laughs> There's multiple aliens been here. Multiple aliens have been here over eons of time. They've messed with the species on this planet and, uh, no telling what you find. You know, people. Some people believe in the dog man. I don't disbelieve in it because it's totally possible that, that could be. If they're experimenting, and they do, as far as what I can tell from history and from what you see in the Egyptian petroglyphs uh, and, and paintings and stuff, with the man with the dog's head, and you get those those things out there. <laughs> it was their core truth to any of it. The Native Americans say they live in two worlds. What does that mean? They say they live in trees. They actually change their matter into energy and recharge into a tree. I don't know. Hmm. But I know there's a lot of sightings and a lot of bad things happen around when they're logging and cutting trees. So it's what I've kind of put together too that there is, I think, a, a reason they don't want they don't want trees to be cutting down. Right. Uh, got off the subject again, didn't I? <laughs> No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, uh, well, I was going to say something, and it just spilled out of my head. Like my my brain is going a thousand different directions. Because like uh, when you bring in that component of, uh, I, I don't know what you would even term it. It's not physics as we know it. It's like supra physics or whatever you want to term it. Uh, it. It starts making me think of all these other theories like uh maybe there's a hollow hollow earth is real maybe they're uh maybe that's where they disappear to maybe <laughs> and i start to think maybe uh hollow earth is uh this uh where you go into the earth and all of a sudden you go from inside to outside again and you're on the <laughs> right, this is crazy and outlandish and it has nothing to do with what we're talking about but my this is where my brain goes on these types of things but Maybe now you're in this uh, dimension where uh, all the times are overlapping, kind of like uh, uh, the land of the lost. Well, who knows? You know, there's all kinds of things going on. Uh, I think there's probably, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that either. But right. <laughs> Solomon, Solomon Islands uh, got some stories about these things living underground. Got a lot of stories worldwide that talk about how they go underground, and uh, I'm not sure that's not what happens to them here. You know, they go underground. You got, uh, well, who's it, Fred Beck? 
who claims he shot one in 1924 at Mount St. Helens. And he said he did not miss and shot it, fell off the cliff. They went down and couldn't find the body. Well, no one ever finds a body. Uh, or maybe they do and the government takes it away. Because I don't think the government wants, wants what these things are out there. It's going to throw a kink into religions and going to throw a real curve into Darwinism. It's going to it's going to really change the way people think about everything. Uh, once history books are going to, have to be rewritten. Uh, just uh, the government don't want you to know about this stuff. They didn't want us to know about UFOs for a long time. Now they're letting that out. So the next step is to let what are the UFOs doing here? Well, they're hybridization. They're they're messing with different species. They're trying to get their their species to survive, and uh, that's what's going to do it. Uh, if they're bad ones, like the Nephilim, like, like you talked about earlier, um, that's what I'll find out next month when I go to Alaska. I'm supposed to go into an expedition up there. Things have been pretty rowdy, I guess. So, also, we'll there, there are Bigfoot experiences in Alaska. I haven't heard of that. Oh, huh. I had no idea until I started looking into that. Yeah, they're all over up there. Uh, I say all over. <laughs> Might just be some hermits back in the woods, you know. But uh, what they're seeing up there is huge, uh, more more so than any man would be. And uh, they've also had some very malicious things happening. And so, anyway, we'll find out. I, I got a through a production company. And, and very yeah. high amounts of UFO sightings there as well. Yeah, there are. And uh, that's the thing. You, you, the 20% of the old Bigfoot sightings are, have a, a UFO component to them. And uh, the first one was, I think, uh, I read about it. 1888 in the Huffington Post uh, in 2012. They filled out this article written in 1888 about this uh, small moon coming down from the sky and three crazy bears jumped out of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first one of the first reports. That was in the uh, Humboldt Times, I think. That's how Eureka. It's uh, interesting, and I I interviewed a very credible firefighter who saw a UFO and probably 15 miles away, the air miles away from where our camp is. I know where the spot is. <clears throat> a lot of reports in there, big sightings, but UFO sightings too. He was watching the UFO over this mountain wall at the same time as a Bigfoot he was seeing. So. Yeah, there's a connection, I think, to a lot of them. And uh, again, if they are able to do the, well, they do are able to do a lot of strange things. And it may be because of a alien attribute that's been given to them through DNA manipulation. So aliens are far advanced, more, more advanced than we are. I don't think they're supposed to interfere with us. We got a karma. All of us have a, something to respond to on this earth. I love to get into this in a minute. We got time. <laughs> yeah, I have all the time in the world. I, I think about like, uh, yeah, if you're taking an alien species that is so far beyond our comprehension of intelligence, and then you're splicing that DNA with uh, and some sort of animal, what whatever it is, an ape or whatever. In, uh, animals have intelligences that we don't possess, and then you're taking an alien that has intelligences that we don't possess, and now it's this mixture of all these intelligences we don't possess. So uh, it's unfathomable what that intelligence would entail. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you look into how they do what they do. 
Uh, is everything controlled by the speed of light? No, only matter in our three-dimensional environment is. Uh, nothing, they say nothing can go faster than the speed of light, according to Einstein. Well, your thoughts go faster than the speed of light. And if you can uh, manipulate matter with consciousness, uh, that would uh, answer all things for you. And I think aliens can do that. I think that's how they get around like they do, because they're definitely going faster than the speed of light. But my gosh, you can't even cross. You know how many light years it would take you just to get across this uh, universe where you're Milky Way galaxy. I kind of broke my connection with a lot of scientists I used to hang out with. <laughs> Everything's measurable and predictable and all that. Well, somebody tell me how far it is to the end of the universe. Right. I think I got taken off the Christmas list at that time. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't measure it. You can't even, you can't even comprehend it. Yeah. I, I, I did that when I was just a boy. I, I how how do you understand the end of the universe? What could be there? A wall? What's on this other wall? No, no, no. It's really opens your mind up to realize there's so much more that we don't know. Yeah, you can't measure infinity with a ruler, and you can't weigh it on a scale. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you're talking about a trip to Alaska. Uh, have you done research on Yeti? You know, I've been in Nepal, uh, yes, uh, somewhat. Uh, there was a, a National Geographic uh, sponsored expedition that went up above Bhutan and the Himalayas and pulled the eDNA, that's environmental DNA, off a, a footway track that they, they found, bipedal, and uh, went back and studied it. And uh, again, it was 99% human on the mitochondrial that was not corrupted. And she wouldn't even talk about the nuclear DNA because that represents something alien, probably, and that mm. loses their credibility. And the first thing you know, they don't get to they don't get Christmas gifts anymore. <laughs> now, are are the people who uh, who are witnesses of Yeti or experience them? Are they having the same experiences as what people do here in the states? Uh, haven't heard any like that. No, uh, they. They don't know. Uh, I mean, you don't hear many reports about that. A lot of uh, they don't talk about it much up there uh, at all. So, where I've got most of my reports are here in Canada or here in the United States. Uh, UFOs are commonplace down in South America and Mexico. Oh my goodness! Right. I don't find anybody don't believe in them there because they see them all the time. Yeah, and. Uh, they're uh, very heavy in their oral traditions of discussing these alien crafts and beings. Mm -hmm. um, in your book, you spoke about uh, this Russian study that found that our DNA can cause disturbing patterns in the vacuum, which produces magnetized wormholes. Um, I want to repeat that. Our DNA creating magnetized wormholes. Uh, the Einstein-Rosen bridges. So... What does this mean for us as humans, and what does this mean for Bigfoots as Bigfoots? Well, I got the answer for that. You ready? I'm definitely ready. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for that shit. That's my answer. <laughs> I don't know. There's, a lot of, there's so much I don't know. I've I just been studying this for 50 years, or what I encountered and trying to put answers to it and into physics. And it seems like it's working. It seems like I'm putting the dots together. Uh, the Russians, I've been into uh, Moscow. I spoke at the Darwin Museum over there years ago with a couple of professors about this, this 
very subject and uh, it was uh, interesting. They really put out the red carpet for us and took us into Siberia and where the wild man had been seen and uh, went way back in the wilderness and uh, way, way back and uh, out a cave where they you know, seen too. So, uh, a lot of stories back there. Russians have a lot of stories about these creatures. They don't disbelieve it at all. I mean, even the government believes it. <clears throat> like they sponsored us back there, the government did. And uh, so it's here in the United States that we seem to have a problem uh, with uh, acknowledging the unknown. Why do you think that is? You think uh, our well, government is hiding this, technology? Yes. Or? Oh, absolutely. There's so much technology ahead of us. How do these things take off at 90 degree angle run faster than light and just all of a sudden disappear? Um, there's a technology there that we don't get. So they've got their own energy field around their, their craft. And uh, it just, yeah, there's so much advanced intelligence that we're going to be privy to here one of these days, I think. As soon as everything collapses here on on this planet, which I think that's what's trying to happen, you know, we're going to get another monetary system. And once they get what Tesla was working on out in the public, where people don't have to buy their energy anymore, that's going to really... You know, you got big pharma, you got, they don't want to heal you. They don't want to take care of you. They don't want the technology that we have, I believe, in these uh, private areas that the government knows about and big corporations too. Uh, there's technology there that uh, so far past us that uh, if it once got out, it would destroy our, it would destroy everything we do the shipping industry, the monetary industry, everything. Uh, so, it's got to come out, though. It's got to. It can be held in too much longer. I just hope it does in my lifetime so I can see it. Yeah, I want to see a Sasquatch given a press conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that night when I saw one uh, in 1974, I thought, you know, oh, these things have never been this bold before. They're going to come They're going to come in and let us see them. They're going to come in and let us ride on their shoulders so we can see this force in mm-hmm. the best way we can. You know? <laughs> never happened, though. Next night, when the other guys got in, we told them about what happened. And, and these things, oh, we sit around the campfire there, and all of a sudden, these things started doing the same thing again. You know, the whooping and the rock popping. And, and if you just be still at that time, they come in closer and they start chattering. And uh, this one guy, he, he's so frustrated because they're trying to nail jello to the wall. You know, you, 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 can't, you can't get a handle on it. He jumped up and got his flashlight and, and rifle and started walking out towards those sounds and trying to slide. And it stopped everything. These things left and never came back that weekend. And uh, that's too bad because uh, we had a chance of really making a breakthrough at that time <clears throat> with the, the trust factor. But you don't know. They might be trying to trick you, too, so they could have a good meal. <laughs> you don't know. You still don't know. Nobody knows. However, I, I have my opinion. I think I think it takes a little bit away because I've been looking into it so long and talking to so many people uh, over the years. Just kind of put the kind of putting the picture together what they could be. Um, you talked about uh, a frequency of eight hertz and a relaxed sleeping human seems to be the perfect recipe for attracting Bigfoot on location. Uh, so. Why is this, and what does it have to do with the pineal gland? Well, I think, well, it's kind of, uh, 
our vibrational frequency is a certain, it lowers down at night. But when you get into alpha, out of our beta state of awareness, like we're in now, going to your alpha state where you're not analyzing things, then you fall off in your theta state of sleep. That's where you have lucid dreams. And then you drop off into deep sleep after that. But uh, if you can if you can get your frequency in that non-analytical state, I think that is in tune to the Earth because uh, the human residence of the Earth's frequency drops down at night too, just about to that frequency. So I think these things are tuned into the Earth very much like animals are, and uh, if, if you can if they can match your frequency, I think it's more more a lot easier for them to uh, connect with you. And uh, that's where you get the mind speak, and that's where you might even see one. Uh, that's where I, that's my opinion. I don't know. I don't know for sure, but I think that's we were not trying to be analytical up there so much, even though I was. Uh, we were still like you're in heaven. It's such a beautiful, pristine spot, and these things were dealing with us. Uh, I think it's all about vibration and frequency. If you can get the right frequency. The right vibration, I should say. Uh, things will happen better for you. And I think all of us need to. How do you do that? How do you get your vibrational level higher or better? Uh, you do that through positive thinking and through low uh, compassion and caring for other people. I think that raises your vibrational frequency and it, it makes you a better person. And uh, you find that things work out better for you when. When you can do that, when you can not hurt anybody, you can't say something nice, don't say anything. And you can do, if you just show compassion, you know, I, I didn't know that a long time ago. I, I cared about people and didn't hurt anybody, but, but you see these old people going up to a stoplight and waiting there and all of a sudden turns green, they're still sitting there, you know, <laughs> double their medication and what's happening. Well, I have compassion for them now because I'm one of those guys. <laughs> not quite that bad, but. But if you have compassion <laughs> for people and understand and just show love and, and that, I think that helps your own personal vibrational frequency change. Because you can you can take a piano note, and if you raise enough octaves, it'll turn into light. I think we're all headed to be being light beings at some stage in our eternity, wherever that is. I think there's something very special for us in store. Mm. So there. Are you there? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just uh, kind of uh, lulled into this trance state of thinking about <laughs> the, yeah, everything mental. It, yeah, it really draws you in. And so, yeah, I, I'm really interested in the pineal gland too. Uh, the ancients were fascinated by it. I don't understand how they knew that the pineal gland was the thing in the brain that's uh, responsible for dream states and trance states and these, this higher uh, consciousness. I don't know how yeah. they knew that. Well, I think they know more than what we know now. You know, we think we're smart. We think we're getting smarter and all that stuff. Well, ancients were way up there. Cause I think they, a lot of them were part alien or had alien intervention or aliens around them. Somebody, you know, kickstarted this whole planet and whole human race uh that's what that's what the next one we're all about you know as far as uh, fallen angels i shouldn't say the aliens um the pineal gland i think is the it's the seat of the soul it's the eye of uh, horus it's the uh, 
third eye. It has all the attributes of an eyeball. Uh, crystalline things are surrounded. And, uh, it's, it's, it's simply don't have the physical eyeball. And if you can connect the pineal gland, here, back up one second. You got to get the heart and the brain in coherence with you. To, that's what the chakras are all about, trying to balance yourself. And you get the heart and brain in the right frequency with each other so that your heart is what gives you the feeling of something. But that feeling goes to your brain, you start analyzing it, and you say, well, no, I'm going to go that way, even though your feelings say go left, you, you go right. If you can connect those two things with the pineal gland, which is the third eye, it will open up everything to you. Oh, I got the producer from Alaska trying to call me on the phone. <laughs> Put him on. <laughs> yeah, the pineal gland is uh, very, very important, I think. If you can decalcify it, I think we calcify it with our, uh, our uh, diets. So we, it's, it's corroded. <laughs> it's like an antenna. When you can open up and meditate, that's something I like to mention too. Your meditation is kind of important uh, because that's when you're allowing yourself, learning information to come into you through the pineal gland. I think it's a receptor. And uh, when that information comes in, being able to work that into your brain with the heart-brain coherence is, is really important now, making your life better. And... Uh, where you pray for something, you're asking for something. You just sit and meditate and relax. Uh, you might receive something. Good words. That's, that's where Tesla got his answers. You know, when he comes out of his out of his uh, out of his uh, state, of state of sleep, he would he would sleep on it, and the next morning you got the answer. Yeah. Speaking of Tesla, he uh, he said that he was communicating with an alien life force. I don't doubt it one bit. Uh, he had the right connection. I'm filing through my stuff here. <laughs> yeah, and uh, oh, this is so fun. When you talk about the pineal gland, there's another area that our government is against us. Uh, people don't want to question why do they put fluoride in the water? Why do they put mm -hmm. certain chemicals in our food that have no reason being in food that has no nutritional value whatsoever? Uh, why do they bombard us with uh, all these things that just uh, stupefy us with uh, ignorance and mental retardation? But uh, I yeah. retrain not to question anything. And uh, well, I, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, earlier when you answered, I don't know, I, I just want to say I thank you for that. That's so damn refreshing because when it comes to people who do any research, that's the last thing they ever want to say. I don't understand these scientists that we call scientists, and they never want to say, I don't know. And when they're dealing with these ancient sites, like uh, I, I mentioned living in Ohio, they give a date to these, uh, these Indian mounds, these earthworks, and there's absolutely no way to date it. But they have to give a date range on it, and it irritates the shit out of me. I don't know how you feel about yeah. that. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, they're they're just uh, they feel like they have to give an answer because they got paid to find the answer. Uh, they've been given a grant. A lot of people have, and they 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 got to come back with something. And whoever gives them the money is going to tell them what they want to come back with. Right, exactly. And uh, that's the way it goes. It's all based on money. Big pharma, big 
corporations trying to control everything. And that's going to have to change someday. And uh, but, uh, you could say big academia as well when you have like the Smithsonian that's covering up uh, all this ancient uh, discoveries, artifacts. Yeah. And even uh, they've, there's been accounts where they've take, found, uh, not them personally, but um, other people digging up giants and then giving it to the Smithsonian, then it just disappears. Well, that's what happened in the Minaret Skull. You know, Hal Berry and I went in there on an expedition years ago and trying to find the meadow. You know about the Minaret Skull? The um, Minarets are in Sierra Nevada. Doctor Denton went in there with a Boy Scout group and had a mule, uh, packing their stuff in, and and uh, way back in the Sierras there, and, and the mule pawed and dug up part of the skull, a skull, and Doctor Denton got it and looked at it, and this looks human, but it's huge. So he sent it off to uh, UCLA, and UCLA conveniently lost it. <laughs> well, that's how it happens to stuff that, that those, those uh, they, they got a narrative, the government does, and it's and they want to stay with that. And Definitely. Just, uh, well, it's. And uh, in the, uh, the. The Clinton, Hillary Clinton emails, uh, she was requesting the bodies of Nephilim. <laughs> Really? Oh, you never heard about that? Oh, yeah. No. That's that's no, when no, I no. started revisiting the idea of um, ancient giants. When she when I heard about that in her emails, I was like, "Holy hell, <laughs> it is real!" Mm, wow, I didn't know that. I haven't stayed in that too much, but uh, oh. yeah. The, well, I get into that in my quantum book. How how different ways that the um, Genome or how Nephilim could have came through the flood, the deluge, and uh, gets into one of Noah's sons, Ham. His son was Canaan, developed Canaan, and that's where the Philippians, the giants, were, and that's where the uh, Edomites were, and they were giants. And uh, uh, anyway, I, I find there's all kinds of ways that that still happens because everything has a free will. We have a free will, aliens have a free will. You know, if they can do it once, they can do it again. So it just depends on on uh, what they want to do. My my girlfriend is originally from Kenya, and when I was first telling her about Bigfoot, she hadn't heard anything about it. And she was like, oh, that sounds like our story of Cain. Mm. And you mentioned that, so I found that. Like an internet. Well, also, yeah, they were told that they had to go underground, I think, or something like that. So that, that would also lend to the theory that maybe these things live underground. All right. That... But then these don't seem to be, uh, at least what we were dealing with, the Sierras didn't seem to be hostile. They sound like that. I think originally they were just trying to scare us off, and they did scare a couple of, one guy off for sure. <laughs> but uh, we had high power guns, again, it's a hunting camp, and uh, just. Uh, they didn't scare us off, and they kept coming back. I think they find us curious. They were curious about us, and we were curious about them. What, what are we dealing with here? Uh, I know Lewis Johnson, the leader of our group, he's passed away now. So is Al Berry. These guys are dying off. You know, I guess I'm one of the only ones still standing, me and one or two others. <laughs> and yet you can't get scientists to uh, even 
even interview uh, any of the other guys to get any cooperation off the story that I'm telling. Because you got the facts, and the facts are the Curlin report. You know, Dr. Curlin did his report. Scott Nelson, cryptolinguist. He's a two-time, grad, two-time graduate of the Cryptolinguistic Foreign Languages, the School out of Monterey. And he's more than qualified to determine what he determined, which was that they have a language by the human definition. And Nancy Logan, one of only 10 in, in California at the time, court certified in several languages as an interpreter, you got these people chiming in on all this, and they are experts. And yet you got regular academic, academic won't, won't touch it. They, they just won't go there. And that, to me, is proof. You've got these studies. We've got these studies going on, and it, it shows, they're still looking for a body, I think. And uh, classical science says you have to have something you've got to measure and study, so you've got to bring a body in. Well, I don't think you have to do that. You can get the DNA, but then they got to believe the DNA. But again, <laughs> they'll lose their funding if they're not careful. <laughs> yeah, to them, I, by... to them, I tell them, bring me dark matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, it's uh, it goes on and on. It's just so much uh, stuff we don't know, and we probably never will know, but it's fun looking for it. Yeah, um, like I said in the beginning, um, I, I never stopped uh, keeping an open mind of the possibility, but I, I did kind of get jaded to it because of the tech advanced technologies, but then... I now I'm realizing that yeah, uh, it's a dying breed of people that are actually doing the research into it. So why would there be any proof coming out whatsoever? So uh, my question to you is, uh, for somebody like me who has no experience in uh, going into the woods and uh, well, I can't say hunting, <laughs> but being receptive to a Bigfoot experience, where would I start? in trying to do that? Well, I would suggest finding a place where they've been reported and uh, credible reports and going there and just setting up a little camp. Don't change things. Let them get used to you, your view. And, uh, have fun. Just relax. Don't try to make something happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to be in their terms and their time. So uh, that's I got a whole group of suggestions that I give people you know, when they're going to go out like that. Most people go out and don't shine flashlights and don't take dogs because people won't take their dogs. As soon as the dog gets a hold of one of these things and they're going to be either dead or cower down and never come out, never mm. come out between your legs anymore. Uh, mentioning what uh, you just mentioned before this is uh, Max Plack, who was the father of Crawford Physics got a Nobel Prize for it in 1918, over 100 years ago. But he made a statement that I really love. And it's just a simple little statement. It says, science changes one funeral at a time. <laughs> that means these hmm. scientists now, they're stuck in their rut. They're stuck in their parameters, their disciplinary training. And they won't get out of it. They won't use quantum science at all. And uh, they can't. I've asked them. They told them, we can't go there. Well, they lose their funding. They lose their tenure. They lose their tenure. They, it's just not in their best interest uh, to get off onto woo-woo. Woo-woo land, we'll call it, okay? <laughs> right. Yeah, and then they die, and it changes. <laughs> One funeral at a time. Right. Um, so let's wrap it up here. And uh, what 
what message would you like to give to the universe out there in in summary when it uh, comes to your experiences and how we should per- uh, perceive Bigfoot in a new light? Right. Okay. I mentioned briefly earlier getting your vibrational frequency right, you know, uh, re- treating other people with compassion and, and love and caring for others. If we can do that with ourselves, you'll have a better chance, I think, of communicating with what these things, at least the good ones <laughs> Some people are, well, they're good or they're bad. Well, if you come back out of the woods and you only got one arm, they would be beating, beating your head over with it. Sometimes <laughs> it's no problem. Probably weren't good. But I think for the most part, they want to be good. But um, And they are. Uh, they're here to probably help most people. They're here to help most people, uh, humanity, to try to evolve. And, and uh, they, yet they can't really interfere with, with what we're supposed to respond to. And that's that's the big thing is, is uh, you got... That's situations in your life that, that you have to respond to. And it's not the situation, but it's how you respond to it that's important. You do that on a positive nature. Uh, to to think the world's against you, or that you're victimized all the time, and that you are the victim of oil stories, well, that's just going to take you down. You're going to be sick half the time, not most of the time. Uh, I don't get sick rarely. I've been sick in ages. And that's because I think I started treat people more compassionately. I started caring about people more and things more. Uh, the whole earth is, we're, we're screwing it up. Uh, we've got to stop screwing it up. We've got to stop killing each other. We've got to stop these wars and things because the earth needs to advance too. And I think that's what a lot of these aliens are here for is to probably stop us from some of that stuff. Mm. That's when I think you'll see the intervention. Because even the even the good book says, as it was in the days of Noah, so should also be the second coming. Well, what's that mean? The days of Noah, aliens were offering advanced technology. They were here, and they're corrupting the human genome. So if that's happening again, we're ready for an alien invasion. Wow. Put me in the funny farm. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate it sincerely. This has been a, a, a great, fascinating I don't. I don't know what superlative to use. It's most interesting conversation. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, any plugs, products, promotions? Where can my listeners find you? Well, uh, RonMoorhead.com is my email or my website. Excuse me, M O R E H E A D. That's where my books are available. My CDs are all downloadable. Uh, downloaded and. Uh, uh, Bigfoot Sounds will get you there, too. But uh, Anyway, uh, the, I, my books are on Amazon, but if you need to order them through my website, it'd be easier to look for me. And uh, that's how you find me. I'm easy to get a hold of. You can send me a message that way and tell me what you think, whatever. I answer questions and respond to people as much as I can, as I have time for it. And I try to get to everybody. Thanks for having me, though, Josh. I don't know if you hear that background noise, but <laughs> that's uh, Bigfoot has just entered my home. No, that was my girlfriend interrupting the end of the podcast. <laughs> it happens. Um, no, I, I, I thoroughly appreciate you coming on. It's been a great conversation, and, uh, you know, thanks a million. Well, thank you, Josh. I appreciate the opportunity. Take care, and you keep spreading the word. You Thank you very much. Well, folks, 
Ron Moorhead. Awesome stuff. So, uh, guys, we live the 9 to 5 routine, taking the same routes to and from our predictable schedules. We come to see our lives neatly packaged and placed upon the appropriate shelf where we know it in all its simplicity. We know it inside and out as just a recurring cycle with no questions left to be asked. This is all there is. The mystery is dead and buried. Bullshit! We live in the most incredible, amazing, profound universe unimaginable. Not imaginable, but unimaginable to the likes of our boxed modern minds. There are subjects, processes, dimensions, beings, and energies calling out for our examination. For too long we've put our minds on lockdown. For too long we've stayed home and stayed safe. Home where normalcy and comfort protects us. Safe from the unfamiliar and the unlit portals of the beyond. Open your mind just a little. There you go. Now just a little more. Keep going. Now open it all the way. Good. Isn't that better? Isn't your world more wondrous and exciting now? Isn't life more enjoyable with endless possibilities stomping around in the forest, hiding in the realms of quantum mechanics? Isn't it beautiful to gaze into that hairy, beastly face of age-old mystery? In the words of Ron Moorhead, I'd rather stay green and grow than ripe and rot. Love, peace, happiness. Signing off. Deuces. Deuces.